0: Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. My name is Chris Colsey. I'm the lead pastor here. Whether you're joining us on site or online today, we're so glad that you've chosen to make this your place this Sunday. Um, today we're going to be continuing a series we kicked off last week um, around this idea of really designing our lives intentionally and chasing purpose. And kind of sum up, if you missed last week, just really kind of challenged um, us as we started this year to really look at where we are in our faith journey and to really say, with a sense of desperation, that I want to see some change in my life, I want to see transformation in my life, and that desperation precedes that transformation, oftentimes in our lives. And for those who are really willing to receive, kind of the harder push, the challenge was um, that. And so often in our faith journey, we can fall into the same trap of people who, um, like the stories throughout the New Testament, who people who interacted with Jesus who oftentimes when they met Jesus, they were comfortable with just getting the healing that he provided. And that we looked at a story last week that I I think is particularly helpful for us because what this man did was different. He didn't just want the healing, he wanted the healer. And there's a difference. If you're a parent, you know the difference when your child walks in and they want something from you versus they want you. Um, I have a two-year-old, and mom is clearly the favorite. And, and so oftentimes, it's he wants something from me, but with her, he wants her. And then I, one of the challenges for going into this year, for those who follow Jesus, is this to kind of just in our heart, say, God, I don't want what's in your hands. I want you. I want your heart in my life. So that was last week. So if you didn't kind of catch up, that was like, you know, the previously on encounter church. That was what you missed, all right? So now you've got that. Awesome. We're going to continue and build on that throughout this course of this month with this idea of chasing purpose with a framework that I want to give you today. But before we get into all of that, um, I got a confession to make. Uh, So like I'm an adult now. Um, I've been an adult for a little while. That may be a shocker for most of you. But I had this notion growing up as a kid that like when you became an adult, like there was a certain age, I've got a brother who's about to turn 21 in a couple of days, and so it's like a big deal, and it was like, oh, when you turn 21 or maybe 18 or 25 or 40, like something magical happens, and all of a sudden you become responsible, and like broccoli tastes good, and you like getting up before the alarm goes off, and you enjoy Hard conflict-oriented conversations where you need to share your emotions with someone or call out some. Like I just thought that there was a point when you transitioned over that magical threshold where you just became an adult and it worked. Because growing up, when you looked at an adult as a child, they just seemed to know everything. And then, like, with your parents, you just thought they had all the questions, like, realized and that they just knew the right things to say and the right things to do. And now, like, as a parent, especially, like, as a parent of the second one who's completely different than the first one, I've realized pretty confidently that parents, cover your kids' ears, are just making stuff up as they go. And that they're just kind of making it up on the fly. And what they've done is really demonstrate an ability to like sell you a confidence that, quite honestly, they don't have. Right? And to add it even crazier, I mean, we live in a different generation. So, like, the idea of TikTok, I'm like, wait, so people dance in front of a camera for other people to see it and wanna dance in front of a camera? Like, that's a thing. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Oh, then I've really got to get good at making stuff up because I have no clue, right? And so this realization kind of emerged slowly over adulthood that there was actually no magical point I was going to hit in my life, that I'm never going to drift into those kind of good things. And I think part of what led me to believe that growing up probably never led you to believe that. Like, I used to think coffee must taste really good based on the way the adults sought it out, right? Right? And then you realize this is horrible. This is just an acceptable cultural means to an end, which is to get caffeine into our bloodstream. right? Like if it was culturally acceptable to shoot it up with a needle, that's what we would see adults doing because it would get in even faster. There's just stuff like that where you're like, oh, adults, it's kind of like being a kid but pretending like you're not a kid anymore which is why you periodically will take over your kids' toys when they get something cool, and you're like, you forget, oh, I'm supposed to be the adult. I'm the restrained one. And I I do that sometimes with my kids, and my daughter's got a switch, and I'm like, oh, let me play that, right? And it's like, I want to show you how to beat that boss, and it's really, I'm just reverting. And the point in all of that is that the realization I had was that, like, growing up, change just happened, and you didn't have an option, You woke up and you were taller this year than you were last year. Your voice changed, all these things out of your control, change was happening to you constantly. And then there was a day where the only type of change that happened unintentionally was the bad changes. Your hair falling out, your your gut getting bigger, you forgetting things, right? Like all of a sudden change was no longer a thing that was just default towards the good like it was taking you somewhere. And I think that for some of us, if we're going to really lean into this year, I think we have to come to terms with the fact that there is no future version of you that will ever happen without today's version of you leaning into it. That tomorrow's version of you that you want to be has a starting point of today's version saying this is what's going to look different. And I want to give you a framework because most of us never, ever had a framework to even know how to aim for something good. And what I love about the Bible is that it really lays out for us a really helpful framework that we're going to see in a very short section of scriptures that when we put it together, all of a sudden becomes this ability, this bullseye to help focus and clarify for us if we're going to be people who are going to move towards that life filled with better decisions and fewer regrets, that life, that tomorrow's version of us that we want to be. And to do that, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that um, is from the book of Proverbs. And if you've been around Encounter Church, I love Proverbs. I read Proverbs to my, my kids every single day of their life. And the reason why is Proverbs was a parenting book. It was written by Solomon. It was a book of his writings primarily. There's some other writings in there and some other teachings as well but it was primarily originally collected by Solomon as a training manual for his children to prepare them for royalty. And what I specifically love about Proverbs is Proverbs gives you frameworks, it gives you principles of understanding the world, and that the ancient kings and queens were the closest thing to a modern man or a woman, because to be a king in the ancient world meant that you were exposed to more information every single day than you could process. You had more decisions to make than the average person ever could make in the course of a single day. There was an, a lot of overlap. I mean, if you think about most of our lives, actually, the, the things that we take for granted, the comforts that we have, right. Royalty in the past. hundred years ago, royalty were the only people who had access to some of the things that you take for granted. Right? We have like digital servants that we can call up instantly, just with our voices. I mean, we have really soft sheets and blankets and indoor plumbing and all these other electricity and all these fun things that were originally reserved throughout human history for the royalty. And so I think that's where it's, I find it helpful oftentimes in that Proverbs, it always seems to to have a principle that can apply to like uh, dealing with a difficult kind of potential conflict-oriented conversation or trying to navigate social media and the implications of that. Because God in his wisdom, when he was comprising and inspiring this book, knew that we would need this. And so as a great parenting book, It's filled with a lot of frameworks and foundations to help you no matter where you are in life. And towards the beginning of the book, Solomon's intentionally kind of having this longer dialogue with with his son. Before he gets into the pithy sayings that oftentimes we associate with the book of Proverbs, he's laying the foundation pieces. And we won't read the entire section this morning, but I want to kind of drill into just a portion of what he's going to say. And we'll see on the other side of this conversation how something starts to emerge, I think, can be really helpful for you and for me if we're going to be people who begin to chase purpose in our life. So in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 through 27, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. That he's kind of using this, you probably noticed it, the body as a metaphor for this conversation. And embedded inside of this is some idioms and some phrases that clearly this metaphor is saying a lot. And I think that if we double click on this, what we'll find is that there's actually two different things that Solomon is pointing his son to in the course of this metaphor. And that if we're gonna be people who chase purpose, both of these pieces are gonna be required. And at their intersection is some really helpful diagnostic tools. So the first piece is that above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Wellspring of life is kind of a weird phrase. I don't know when the last time you used that for me, it was at least three weeks ago. It's not really common. It's a joke. I did not use that three weeks ago. All right. Wellspring is a weird phrase. But the idea of a wellspring was that there was a source of where the water came from. And he uses a really intense word. He's like, above all else, like this is the, the most important thing. son. Listen to me. Guard your heart. And the word guard there is literally this imagery of soldiers surrounding this place that's super important. And to to kind of serve a sentry to make sure that no one gets into the vault or to the safe. Like this is the most essential thing. Uh, About 10 years ago, I was traveling to a country where I was going to be doing some work with churches there. And to be a Christian in that community was um, illegal. But I've been invited over to speak. And uh, in the course of being invited over to speak... The group that I was going with said, hey, you know, this is kind of a dangerous place, so um, we want to make some training available to you. And so we arrived at the training, and it was this really cool group um, that trains uh, like senators and representatives who are going into battlefields and kind of war zones around the world and diplomats and um, spies, so it's really kind of interesting group of people. And so we sit there all day, and it's all about, (laughs) the entire training is basically how to avoid being captured. And if you do get captured, how do you deal with your captors? And so they, I won't get into all the specifics of it, but they kind of say, hey, there's two broad groups of um, the people and their motivations. And it's really important if you get taken hostage that you want to understand who has you hostage, what their motivations are. Because how you answer their questions is going to depend on that. And so, I mean, like halfway through the training, you start to be like, what am I doing again? And why am I going? But one of the things that I thought was really interesting was uh, this moment in the training where they talked about protecting the most important pieces of information. Because they realized, that, like, look, every one of you has a breaking point. Every one of you can be broken, and you will turn over and incriminate yourself. And you have to realize that that piece of information, whatever it is that would break you, you have to protect that more than anything else. And then he played a clip from the movie Shrek, which was kind of a bizarre thing to do. But it was that scene in Shrek where he's got the gingerbread man. And he's trying to torture him, and he's breaking the gingerbread's legs off, and the the gingerbread's kind of laughing at him. And then um, the Lord Faulkward says, the gumdrop buttons. And then instantly he says, no, not the gumdrop buttons. Okay? Uh, Yes, I remember that, but this is such a vivid moment. He's like, please, not the gum," And it's like, with the gumdrop buttons, he spills everything. He says everything to them. And he said in the training, he turns the clip off, and he says, you have a gumdrop button. What is it? Because if you don't know what your gumdrop button is before you're captured, they will figure it out while you're captured. And then all of a sudden, with the, I mean, I'm, Shrek had never felt so profound in my entire life. But what he was trying to drive at was the same thing that he was, Solomon's pressing his son. He's like, son, there are some things that should be the most important thing to you, and that's what you should guard. And while in the training I was going through, our guarded was more about protecting it. So it's like, if you know your wife and your kids would be the reason you would break, then you never talk about being married and you never talk about your kids. Because if they ever say to you, we know where Jenny is and we can get to her, then they can break you. But what, the, what Solomon's trying to convey, I think is even more important. Solomon understands that if we're not careful about guarding our heart, guarding our priorities, really devastating things can start to happen. So I don't know if you were familiar with what played out in um, the 2010s in Flint, Michigan. Right, Just a a lot of tragedy, injustice, um, a really kind of disenfranchised community completely neglected. But if you weren't really aware of what was playing out in Flint, I'm, we'll let you see it right here. This is what was happening in Flint. In 2014, they made a decision to shift the water supply from Detroit's water supply to the Flint River. It was supposed to be a temporary decision to save money. And in the course of trying to save money, they made a series of missteps and miscalculations with how they treated the water. And the water started to shift from this to this. And that I think another way to show you the difference is this was a nail that was left exposed to Detroit water for a short period of time, and this was a nail left exposed to the Flint River water for a short time. And you can see the difference. And the community was calling foul almost instantaneously, but nobody was listening to them. Nobody was listening. To them, as they said, hey, this water's not right. Something's wrong. It doesn't taste right. And then the water started changing colors. And what they eventually discovered on the back end of the Flint crisis was the, the science behind why the water started shifting was this. So this is what normal pipes are supposed to look like. This is what Flint's pipes started transforming into. The infrastructure that transported the water throughout flint because of the the ways they were treating the water the ways they were trying to purify and clean the water actually started to erode the pipes and cause different metals to start to seep and leak into the water supply and it literally started to degrade the pipes the pipes were degrading now ironically Just a couple years before this played out, people could turn on their water faucets, they could drink the water, and it was perfectly fine. What destroyed, what sickened, what damaged generations of people in Flint was the fact that the invisible infrastructure that brought the water to them and the water that was being brought to them was tainted and damaged. And that had all of these downstream effects that no one at the moment understood was happening. And what Solomon understood is if you don't watch out, if you're not intentional about the priorities in your life and being clear on those priorities and having clarity of what those priorities are and how you're going to live them out, then what will start to happen is you will drift and they will be damaged. No one ever stands at the wedding kind of at the altar that day and says, man, I really want to hate your guts in 15 years. And I want to just almost get nauseous when I hear your name. And I want to spend tens of thousands of dollars in courtroom battles with you. Like, no one ever says that. And yet, that's the reality for so many people who walk through a divorce. No one ever, when they're holding their child, the day they meet them, say, man, in 21 years, I want us to be so estranged that you're not even talking to me anymore. No one looks when they purchase those one-click items on Amazon and says, man, I really, I hope this leads me straight to a place where I have to declare bankruptcy because I'm so overwhelmed with debt and I'm drowning in credit cards. But we never start there. But what happens is we don't have the clarity from priorities and we start to drift. And other things start to seep into our lives and we start to lose sight of the things that used to be essential, that used to be important to us and what happens is slowly over time this is what happens as we lose sight of priorities as we start to drift and that starts to seep and creep into our lives and the things that we used to hold most valuable because we didn't guard them because we weren't focused and we didn't have clarity that they're the most important things we eventually find ourselves here And that the priorities are one of the first things that Solomon is pointing his son to. If he's going to be a son, who's going to be intentional with his life and chase out the purpose that he was created for, to be that future king. And I think it's helpful for you and me to ask the question, just from this image, like with your priorities, where are you? Do you have clarity around those priorities? Not then... But now, because that's the first thing that we need to figure out if we're going to chase purpose. The second piece is really kind of embedded in the rest of the passage. From 24 to 27, we see this intentional checkboxing of the eyes and the mouth and the lips and the the feet and how we guide our feet. This whole comprehensive where you show up at, Where are you physically present? How are you using the body? Out of these priorities that you have, what is flowing from them? And how you're using your time and the decisions you're making and the choices, the plans and the schedule that you have. Because this alone isn't enough. This has to flesh out into this. One of the things that's always fascinated me whenever I board an airplane it's like one of those small things that annoys me because it just doesn't make any sense is when you're sitting on an airplane before you get to do this and it's like, um, you know the doors are about to close because they say, we are now getting ready to depart for Dallas-Fort Worth. If Dallas-Fort Worth is not your destination, is not where you intend to go, please depart d- the plane now, right? And I'm always like, that is so dumb. How do you get on this airplane? And like, like who changes their mind? It's like, oh, JK, just, I was just messing with you. Oh, I'm leaving now. And uh, like a couple of weeks ago, I was on an airplane, and literally somebody walked off the airplane. And I, I wanted to stop them and say, where were you headed? Where are you going? Like, you're, do you have bags underneath this plane? Because I'm pretty sure you're not getting them things back. Like, what just ha-? But they just walked right off the airplane. And then the doors closed, and they're like, the pair, like prepare for departure. And I was sitting there, I was like, wow, this actually happens. Like, people really get off airplanes. And so, like, I started Googling it because, you know, I didn't get to have that conversation. So I'm like, do people really get on the wrong airplane? Because, I mean, like, you get, like, branded with a number and a group, and then you have to, like, sift and sort through the lines. I'm like, there's no way technologically that can happen. But sure enough, it actually still happens. That one is human error because... We're human, and so, you know, things happen. But the other way, especially in small regional airports, if you've ever had to fly to a smaller city, you'll know you get to, the, like, the end, and it's one gate, and there's, like, seven different planes, and they're going to, like, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, and, like, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and, like, all these towns that if you were offered a million dollars to guess where they are on a map, you'd be like, yeah, uh, there somewhere, right? Like those kind of places. Well, you walk out of the gate and there's like seven of those airplanes. People end up in Dayton, Ohio sometimes when what they really wanted to go was to Des Moines, Iowa. And that still happens. So this is why they actually say at the end, hey, this plane is headed here because if you don't want to go there, you need to get off now because this is where it's going. And I think in some ways Solomon is trying to communicate the same thing with His son, that those airline stewardesses are saying, hey, you say you want to go here, but your choices are actually going to take you this way. You say you want to go to Dayton, but you're actually going to end up in like Biloxi, Mississippi. And so if Dayton is where you want to go, you want to get off the plane to Biloxi, unless you want to go to Biloxi. And this is why he's walking through that passage and he's communicating to his son that like your time will be filled with someone else's priorities, with someone's priorities, your schedule, how you use the decisions you make, what populates your calendar, what you fill your time with will reflect someone's priority. That airplane is headed to Dayton. It's headed to Biloxi. Is that where you really want to go? I think for us, there's a, a subtlety in the way he's grabbing hold of this full body metaphor is he's saying to his son, "You're going to be hit from every side, and you're going to feel like there's so many things competing for your time, your energy, there's going to be so many opportunities for you to kind of go off course. But what I love about what he says, flowing out of the priorities piece around guarding your heart and what's most important, is instantly this issue embedded in it of. You have control. You're in decision-making frame. You don't veer to the right or to the left. And I think for many of us, we get to the end of our weeks. We get to the end of our years. If we're being honest, we get to the end of decades. And we look up and we look around, and our time is full. Have you ever noticed you get to the end of your week, your schedule was full? Like your calendar, it was finished. It was full. And the question we have to ask ourselves is not, Will it be full? But what was it full of? See, your time will be filled with someone's priorities. The question is, whose? Yours or someone else's? And if you work and you breathe air, that is a constant struggle for you, right? Because it could be your spouse's priorities, it could be your kids' priorities. It could be your coworkers' priorities, your boss's priorities, if you teach, your kids' priorities. You're constantly inundated with other people's priorities. And if you're not careful, your calendar will fill up with everyone else's priorities except for yours. And one day, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you look up and you realize you landed in Biloxi and you never, ever, ever intended to go there. Now, full disclosure, I don't even, I don't know what Biloxi is. Biloxi may be the greatest city in the world. So if you're from Biloxi or if we got somebody engaging today from Biloxi, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, if you don't want to go to Biloxi, you don't want to go to Biloxi. And that we look up and we look around and we're like, wow, how did I end up here? And it's because, well, we filled our time with everyone else's, but not our own. And that if we're going to chase purpose, we have to realize that the intersection of our priorities And at the intersection of our planning and our decision-making, how we fill our time, that that intersection can actually be incredibly helpful. In fact, in the book, The Design Life, uh, the author um, kind of takes those two ideas and puts them together in a way that I think brings incredible life to this Proverbs 4 passage. And it's how I want to leave you today because it's a really clarifying diagnostic tool. Especially for those who follow Jesus and who want to leverage their lives in a way that's a response to what he's done with his life for us. And so, this kind of two-by-two grid, priorities, no priorities, right? Clarified, you know what you want to do, you don't have a clue what you're supposed to be doing. Coupled with intentional planning of your life and unintentional planning. that That intersection produces four different outcomes. And as I walk through these four, I just want to ask you the question, where are you in this grid? And as Solomon's saying to his son, where are you in the course of your life? The first one is a life with unintentional planning and no priorities, and you're just drifting. This year looks like last year that looked like last year that looked like five years ago. You're still where you are, and you're not even sure where that is. You're drifting. The other one is delusional, right? It's uh, one day we're going to do this, one day we're going to do this, one day we're going to be out of debt, but you keep overspending what you make. I'm going to have a great relationship with my kids, but you're disconnected from them. You're not being intentional about the time you have with them. And so you have these priorities clarified. You know, this is what I want to see in my life, But nothing has been built out in your life to get you there. And so what you have is a delusion. It's just delusional. Because you're never going to arrive there. It's the person who sits on the airplane knowing they want to go to Dayton. But they're not even paying attention that that one's not headed that way. But then let's say you move to this grid and you've got some intentionality in your planning. But you actually don't have any priorities. You don't have clarity about the end of your life or where you want to aim or what you want to aim for. And so what you are, you look really good on the outside. Right? You look really good. House looks good. Car looks good. Your schedule looks full. It looks like it's got some controls around it. You look busy. But You're driven, but you don't even know where you're driving towards. It's like a lot of things that should have been the means become the end. You see this with money. Money at the end of the day is just a means. But how many people means the money becomes the end? That's what they want. And so they drive. And they end up winning in the wrong game. And the wrong things. Which is the most tragic of all things. And then there's the final one. The one that we actually want to aim for. Where your priorities are in alignment with the planning around your life. And at that intersection is a designed life. An intentional, well-lived life. The life that Solomon is calling his sons and his daughters to. That God is calling you and me to. Through this passage, this invitation to bring alignment, having answered the question of what's important and saying at the intersection of what's important, I'm going to make sure I structure my life towards that end. That last week I told you in two weeks I'm going to send out an email, and the first 12 people who respond, you're going to get it. Is that one of the things that I got certified through the pandemic was? Um, in a framework to help people design their life intentionally. And really, I'm going to walk you through a series of tools. It's super intensive. It costs money, but it costs a fraction of what you would actually pay if I charged you for it. It's, it's going to be time intensive. It's going to be intellectually, mentally intensive because you're going to have to wrestle with some really core questions and understanding your story and what we're going to do in the course of that journey together is we're going to pull out some of these things specific to you because none of us live other people's lives well, but think how many of us are tempted and drawn into trying to live someone else's life, what we see on social media, what they drive, what they're doing, what's consuming them and their world, and we just copy and paste that into our life and we really stink at trying to live someone else's life well. And so there's a a really personalized piece of like, let's clarify your priorities and see the design that God placed into you for you to live that out intentionally. And then to partner with that piece and actually give you tools that are very intentional 90-day rhythms to help you clarify where you are, where you're headed. Because I think at the end of the day, We will all have a point in our life where where we are on this grid becomes instantly clarified, and that's the day that we die. But the challenge is that's way too late to do anything about it. And that's why as we start 2022, I just want to ask you, where are you? Maybe you don't have to tell anyone else because you're embarrassed. Maybe, maybe you're a little uncomfortable with the implications of what maybe is starting to percolate inside of you. But I think today you need to answer the question, which one of these four are you right now? And maybe for some of you, what you need to do is to break it off and to fragment it because maybe in your professional world, you're really good right now. But maybe if you're being honest in your personal world, parenting world, financial world, you're not over here. You're here. Or you're here. And to get really honest with you, yourself, you don't have to tell anyone else. But we can't build on a foundation if we don't... You can't plan a destination if you don't know where you're starting from. And this is the first step in us planning out the destination and the journey that we want to go. So my simple question for you today as we wrap up is where are you? Where are you winning? Where are you losing? And to go back to last week, are you okay with where you are? And if not, then come back next week. Because we're going to go on a journey over the course of this month so that you and I can begin to not just chase purpose, but actually start to live it out. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the wisdom of your word. For how good you are as a father. That Solomon was imperfect and yet his love and desire for his kids to live their life well is so evident in that passage. But ultimately, that's a reflection of your love towards us. God, thank you for the grace that even as we're honest with ourselves now about where we are in the grid, that there is a grace and a mercy that extends to us even now. Because in your house, because of what you've done, Jesus, we don't have to stay where we are. We can be transformed And drawn to where you are. And so with grace and in mercy and with peace, God, give us clarity today. And give us the passion and the desperation to start to move and to shift from where we are to where we want to be. And thank you for the strength and the clarity and the power to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.